Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 1.18. This is the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. May he be pleased and merciful to write them on our hearts. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to back up a little bit. I'm actually going to look at a number of different scriptures, but that'll be the first ones we'll look at together is in Ephesians 2. We're going to talk today about our hopeless lack of peace. As I said, we'll be in uh, various different scriptures. Our hopeless lack of peace. I want to preach this message from the perspective of it, to those of you who don't yet trust Christ. You've not put your trust in Him. You've not humbled yourself before Him in order to follow Him with all of your heart. The reason I'm doing this and preaching it from this way this morning, which is a little bit different, is that for those of you who don't know Christ, and some may think you know Christ and and don't. 
Um, I want you to see the how essential it is for you to understand your need, that you absolutely need Christ. And that's what today is going to be about, showing you your need. And we're going to be talking about peace this time of year. You know, we talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, and we think of these terms, you know, peace on earth and goodwill to men, and and then we see that there is not much peace in the world, and so peace is on our minds. And I want to come at it from that perspective and see what the Scriptures tell us about our need of peace. But I also am preaching it this way because I want those of us who have trusted in Christ to be moved with compassion for those around us who have not trusted Him, that we would step out of our comfort zone and and as we spend time especially this time of year with friends and family and co-workers and to look for those opportunities and then take the opportunities to tell them about Christ tell them about their need of peace and how the only way that they can find that is in him you sinner or in a dire desperate situation. You are without peace. You are without hope and without God in the world. Scripture is clear. Sinners live and die without peace. And I want you to see, sinner, that you are currently without any hope in yourself. You are without peace. Maybe you're content with conflict. Maybe you're content to be at war with those around you. Or maybe you've decided to just stay out of other people's way to avoid conflict, even though it's there in your heart. Either way, you're still at war with God. Whether you're at war with the people around you or you're trying to stifle that, you are at war with God. And He does not ask you to keep conflict to a minimum. A lot of people think that way. It's like, if I, if I can just be a good little boy, a good little girl, whether you're, you know, 70 years old or seven, it, it's, we think that way. I just need to be a nicer person. Well, that's not what God is asking from you. He demands your wholehearted allegiance. On your own, you men, women, and young people have no hope of experiencing true peace. Absolutely no hope of experiencing true peace. And so in these three messages leading up to Christmas, what I'm going to be doing is showing today our need of peace for those who have not yet trusted in Christ. And we're going to see in it how this problem that we have, this desperate lack of peace, both peace with other people and peace with God, it was lost for us through one person. But we'll also see, especially in the next two messages, I'll only touch on it today, but we'll talk more particularly about how both our peace with other people, and even more importantly, our peace with God, will be found in one person. With that first thought, how we lost it through one person, 
think back to Genesis 1 and 2 where God created all that is. He created mankind. <clears throat> and because He is our Creator, we exist for Him. We owe Him our obedience. And a lot of times we dismiss that. We discount that. And we, we think, okay, you know, God, you know, He's going to be okay as long as I don't cause too much trouble. But I also don't want God telling me what I can and can't do. But we exist for Him. He's the one who defines how we are to live. And He has told us what He requires of us. He has given it to us clearly. But, you know, in Genesis 3, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they chose to do things their own way. And they disobeyed God. That's where mankind's hopeless lack of peace began. When you look at just the relationships that you have, and you see often there's not peace. And it doesn't take much reading into the news to see that there's not a lot of peace in the world. And when there is peace, it doesn't last very long. It falls apart. It all began there in the garden when they chose to disobey God. So what I want to do is to walk us through five descriptions from Scripture. Five descriptions of our hopeless lack of peace, this hopeless state that mankind is in. First, Scripture defines sinners this way, and this was every one of us, even those of us who have trusted in Christ. This used to be us. So we sympathize with those of you who don't know Christ yet. But this is you now. Sinners experience enmity with one another. Sinners experience enmity with one another. What do I mean by enmity? It's hostility. It's hatred towards someone. It's this bitter attitude towards someone. It is the opposite of peace. And so as we think about peace and how we need peace and we should <clears throat> desire to have peace, enmity is what we actually experience. And enmity began in the Garden of Eden. It began there as enmity between people. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve, who had this beautiful, perfect relationship, were now at enmity with one another. They were afraid of each other. They knew that the other person could hurt them and probably would. But also... Enmity between man and God began. And so God there in Genesis 3 put them under a curse. And here is part of that curse. He's speaking to the serpent, Satan. He says, God said, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve. And between your seed... That it would be unbelievers, those whose, Jesus said, whose father is the devil in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> those who do not trust in God. So he will also, God will put enmity between unbelievers and the woman's seed, which first and foremost is Jesus, but then all of those who are in Christ. That would be believers. But, you say, oh, that, that just sounds horrible. I mean, God put us under this curse. But it was a gracious curse. Because that curse would show us 
that we need peace, to realize that we need peace. God didn't just sweep it under the rug and say, let's hope things get better tomorrow. He's showing the need for peace. And so this curse that we are under reminds us we need peace with God first. But God declared that there, throughout Scripture that there would not be peace for those who reject Him. Isaiah says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. That's all of us apart from Christ, and, and some of us are still working on that. But you think about how, how we are. We, we hope to be, be able to get along with each other and to, to kind of tamp down conflict. But what happens? In our own hearts, it just keeps you know, bubbling up, up like the sea, like those waves crashing. We can't keep that down. Just, you know, we try to not be at enmity with each other, for example. But our heart is like the sea. It cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuge, refuse and mud. There is no peace for the wicked, says God. In another place... Isaiah says that the wicked stir up strife. They never have peace. He says, they do not know the way of peace. They don't. The world tries to come up with all kinds of ways. We try to come up with all kinds of ways. Okay, how can I be at peace with other people? And we try to think of things. How can I have peace in my family? But if you reject God, Through this curse, He punishes you so that there is no peace for anyone, Jeremiah said. We see this this enmity in the Bible between Jews and Gentiles, and we see it playing out today, don't we? It's still going. You see, and here in Ephesians 2, we're going to read in just a moment. Uh, Paul, you might remember we talked about that. There was this hostility between Jews and Gentiles, okay, which we find in the church through Christ, he brings us together so that that enmity is taken away, okay? But that hostility was there. Look look at um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And, and this is talking about the solution to the problem, but I want you... Oh, sinner, to listen for what was reality before Christ and still is the reality for those outside of Christ. Talking about Jesus, for He Himself is our peace. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks more particularly. But He made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one. And He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. There was this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And it was not the law, but it related to the law. And so what Jesus did is by abolishing, verse 15, by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, this hatred, which is the law of commandments, that's the law of Moses, which was contained in ordinances, that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. But before that work of Christ, think about the enmity that was there between Jew and Gentile, and that for those outside of Christ, we still see this today between Jew and Gentile. You see, God gave the law of Moses to the Jews to protect them from evil Gentile practices. The Gentiles just ran rampant in in sin, as Grant read from Romans 1 for us. You see there, you know, Romans, it it first starts out, talks about the 
immoral pagan there in chapter 1. And then he gets into, Paul gets into the moral pagan. And he says, you're under sin too. And, and, the, and the curse. And then he talks to the Jews. He says, well, you're under under sin as well. You're sinners. And, and for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God as he concludes. But God gave the law to protect the Jews from those immoral Gentile practices. But what the Jews did in their unbelief is they twisted it into an excuse to hate Gentiles. They twisted it into God's good, perfect, holy law. They twisted it into an excuse to hate Gentiles. And, of course, it's mutual. Gentiles have hatred for the Jews to this day. They are stirred up by and driven by Satan to hate Jews because they are God's chosen people. He plans to redeem them all in that day. Whoever, Whatever Jews are alive, Romans 11, he plans to redeem them. Well, Satan doesn't like that. And he's doing everything he can to try to snuff them out. And so the Jews, unbelieving Jews hate the Gentiles and unbelieving Gentiles hate the Jews. That's just evidence of this sinners, that sinners experience enmity with each other. Second, sinners hate one another. <clears throat> Quite a bit of overlap with what we just talked about, but Scripture also uses this term hatred. <clears throat> uh, turn over to Titus chapter 3. Another book that Paul wrote, Titus chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 3. There the apostle said, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy. And then this, hateful, hating one another gives us both those two descriptions to bring out this this concept of hate that we have for each other. We're hateful. And that's that's our temperament. That's our that's who we are on the inside apart from Christ. We're hateful. And then the action that that flows from it, hating one another. This enmity shows itself when you hate other people. And so we see God's curse is still in effect, but remember it's a gracious curse. Because instead of, you know, shaking your fist at God for the curse, thank Him that He's showing you your need, your need of peace. Like, I can't get along with the people in my family. Why would I turn to Christ? Well, you should turn to Christ so that He will enable you to get along with the people in your family. And that's not the only reason, but you, you obviously have, you, you need to see that you are at enmity because you are lost, because you're apart from Christ. But Jesus said that throughout this whole age, this church age, before Jesus returns, <clears throat> Jesus said, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. That, that's humanity. <clears throat> and just look at the news, you see that. The hateful things that people are saying today. There are brutal things happening in the world and, then, and, and they celebrate it. It's hateful. That That's the world apart from Christ. And Jesus said that it would be that way. And it would continue all the way until He returns. Earlier, Jesus uh, pointed out, <clears throat> Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. You see, when the gospel comes into a home and people are saved, the other people there don't like that. And they're at enmity. And Jesus said, this is how it will be until I return. But again, that enmity reminds you that you need Christ. See it in the right way. When you see the enmity that you have toward others in your home, if you're an unbeliever, that is a sign of pointing you to the gospel. You need Christ. Now, while the gospel does enable believers to be at peace with one another, as we had learned back in Ephesians 2, they believers won't always experience peace with others around them. When God saves a person, sometimes their unsaved family members will cause strife. And until Jesus returns, Christians should expect conflict with the unbelievers around them. And so, I I ask you, uh, sinner, person who has not trusted Christ yet, do you cause strife with Christians in your family? With Christians around you? Listen to what Jesus told His disciples. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then Jesus prayed to His Father in John 17. And He was talking here about Christians. I have given, given them Your Word, and the world has hated them. Because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see, again, unbeliever, sinner, <clears throat> when you're causing conflict in the home, it's a sign that you need Christ. That, they're, that you're not only at enmity with the people around you, but more importantly, you're at enmity with God. It's a picture of that. It, it just shows you you need to, to be reconciled to God. <clears throat> and as I said already, such a lack of peace would not only continue throughout this age, but it's going to even get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Revelation chapter 6, verse 4 uh, we find there, as Jesus had revealed to John, what was coming, what's coming for us. <clears throat> it says there, and another, when you had these these horses riding out um, as the seals are broken, and another, a red horse went out, and to him, or to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And the, the way I see that is this is what's going to culminate as, as things just get worse and worse and worse, and then it's going to be really bad. We think it's bad now. It's going to be worse. And so Jesus has said in His own words in the Gospels, and we have Him revealing to John here in the Revelation. And the Revelation, Reformation Study Bible, it's Sproul um, organized, <clears throat> views this verse even more broadly saying that it applies to right now and it will continue all the way till the second coming of Christ, which is where I see it primarily talking about. But he said it's even throughout this age 
Now, that does align with what Jesus has said, that it's just going to be bad all the way through this age, and it's going to get worse. Why would God allow them to take peace from the earth? Whatever peace people think they have, He's going to have it taken away. Because He wants them to see that they need to turn to Christ. That they need the Savior. And He's the only way. sad thing about it, as you read the Revelation, is that there's going to be so many of them that just hide themselves from God and the Lamb. Even when they realize that this is Jesus who is pouring out His wrath on the earth, they're like, I don't want to be anywhere near Him. That's just how tragic this is. So don't take this lightly. Third description, sinners are haters of God. So not only do we hate each other apart from Christ, that's, that's who we are, what we are, we hate God too. Dear sinner, you know, you might not think that you hate God. And a lot of sinners, you know, if you went out there and you're talking to somebody about the gospel, then and you say, you know, you're a hater of God. Oh, I don't hate God. You know, He's okay. You know, I, I don't go to church and I don't, you know, do what He says and all. But I mean, I don't hate Him. Well, yeah, you do. If you don't follow Him with your whole heart, if you have not repented of your sins and turned to Him and followed Jesus, you hate Him. Go back to Romans 1. That uh, We'll read just a part of what Grant read earlier. <clears throat> and I hope by having that in our Scripture reading for us to hit it, uh, once and then come back again here and hit it briefly with all of this other that we see what people are like. All of us are like apart from Christ. And so, so sinner, man, woman, young person, I want you to listen to this. Do you hear yourself in this? Listen to see. Do you hear yourself in any of this? Romans one twenty eight, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, full of in, or evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, ouch, even those of us who are adults, we can think back, and oh yeah, that was me. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, and every man knows that, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Isn't that the world? That's what the world does. They're not only practicing evil, but they even encourage and they approve of each other. And that's what they're trying to get us to do now. They not only want us to tolerate them in their sin and their immorality, but they want us to also approve of it and say that it's a good thing and it's the way it ought to be. Well, read Romans 1, 2, and 3 again. 
And by doing that, thinking that way, you see that you're under the condemnation of God. Listen to Jesus. He said, The world has hated me before it hated Christians. He who hates me hates my Father also. Wow. Well, I don't follow Christ, but I follow, you know, the God of the Old Testament or something, as you might say. Well, if you hate Christ, you hate the Father too. He goes on, now, they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And you see, there's, there's at least two things going on in this curse. As I said, it's a gracious curse, a penalty. To make us realize that I need peace, I need peace with God. I need a Savior. But for those who persist in rejecting Christ, who never turn to Him, never humble themselves before Him and cast themselves on His mercy, it will be what God will use to condemn you finally. In that day of judgment, He'll say, you have no excuse. This is why I'm punishing you forever. Because you hate Christ and you hate God. Therefore, number four. Fourth description. Sinners are enemies of God. Turn over to Romans 5. Just a few pages from where we were. Romans 5. And, and what I want you to watch for here is how the sinner's condition goes from bad to worse. I want you to see the progression here in this. So, Romans 5, starting in verse 6, we'll just read some portions of this. For while we were still helpless, okay, that's bad, helpless, you don't have any hope, okay, but it gets worse. At the right time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. Okay, it gets a little worse. Verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Got a little worse. Now look at verse 10. Just the first part. For if while we were, what? Enemies. Enemies. You see how it went from helpless all the way to enemies. That's how serious this is. It's not like, oh, you poor helpless thing. It's, you're God's enemy. It's, yes, you're helpless, but it's worse than that. You're His enemy. What this means is that your opposition to God has earned you God's wrath. And so, like in Ephesians 2, verse 3, you are called the children of wrath. Commentators Sandy and Hedlum say this about the Romans 5 passage. There's not only a wicked opposition of the sinner to God, but a holy opposition of God to the sinner. What that means is you can't just simply change your attitude. Maybe you hear this and you say, okay, this is pretty serious. I'm going to start being nice now. That, that's not going to work. That's not going to help you. 
because you have a bigger problem than that. God is your enemy. Not only are you an enemy toward Him, He is now your enemy. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. God is my enemy? I would never say that of God. He's somebody's enemy. No, He's the enemy of those who hate Him. He is your enemy. Now, keep in mind, your enemy is also offering for you for Him to be your Savior. Okay? So you have to hang on to that and get both of those. But he, if you do not trust in Him, He will be your enemy. And Doug Moo, another commentator, explains it this way. He says, we, of course, are hostile toward God. And here's some evidences. Sinning against His laws, rebelling against His rightful rule, putting other gods in His place. But as Paul has repeatedly affirmed in this letter, God is also hostile toward us. Our sins have justly incurred His wrath, which stands as a sentence over us to be climactically carried out on the day of judgment. You see, so you can't just say, I'm going to clean up my act. That's not going to work because you have a bigger problem that God is your enemy. You sinned against Him. You've rejected Him. And so now He is your enemy. And you need a solution for that. Another evidence going back to the Jews. Currently, we're in what's called, in Romans 11 calls, the times of the Gentiles. Uh, the Jews have right now been partially hardened. There are a few Jews who are coming to know Christ, so it's only partial, it's not total. And it's also temporary. They're temporarily, Paul says they're enemies for our sake, for Gentiles, those of us who are coming to Christ. And we'll talk more about that later, but that's still true today. Right now, they're enemies of us Christians and they're enemies of God. Okay, So just more evidence of see these things as this reminds me of my need for a Savior. Okay, our fifth description. Sinners are hostile to God. That's pretty bad, right? See how it gets worse? Sinners are hostile to God. Consider from Romans 8, 7, the, the depth of your despair. It says there that the mind set on the flesh, that is you, sinner, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. That's that's how it is hostile. He's explaining it. What do you mean I'm hostile to God? You don't subject yourself to the law of God. If you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, which He has told you to do, then you're not keeping His commands and you are therefore hostile to God. And you say, okay, I'm going to change that right now. Hmm, You can't. Because He goes on to say, and they're not even able to do so. Sinners can't clean up their own act. It's not possible. He says you are not you do not have the ability to change your situation. You cannot remedy it. You're hostile toward God, you resent his authority, you refuse to submit yourself to his law. And then you see how Utterly hopeless you are. 
you're not even able to submit yourself to his law. I mean, uh, ask yourself. Okay, so kids, young people, boys and girls. You don't obey your parents perfectly, right? If you disagree with that, then you also have a problem with lying. But Okay. Have you ever wondered this whole parenting thing? It's like mom and dad say I have to do this, I have to obey God, and I have to obey parents, and and I keep failing at it. I keep failing at it. I try and I try and I keep failing at it. That's the plan. You're supposed to fail at it. Why? God doesn't want you to clean up your own act because you can't. He wants you to look outside of yourself to someone else. We'll come back to that. You need to understand that you are not able to change your situation. Whenever I remember uh, Paul Tripp talking about in one of his books... He and these are those those moments that parents, you know, live for, right? He's walking by his daughter's room and she's just bawling. And he goes down. What's the matter, sweetheart? Well, you know how you tell me that I have to obey or have to have to be nice to my brothers. Yeah, I, I just can't. And I find that I I I just and I can't want to. And all of a sudden, dad's on cloud cloud nine. Why? Big gospel opportunity. Like, you now you get it. You can't. You need Jesus. That and then parents, that's that's where we're going with our kids, right? That's where we're taking them. And that's what you want. And parents, when you get frustrated, okay, why is this kid not, you know, okay, because they can't. They need Jesus. And this is a reminder over and over and over again. Look for those those gospel doors to fly open and run through it and share Christ with them. They need to see that they desperately need a Savior. So let's do a review real quick. we got another slide here with pulling it all together. So, sinners experience enmity with one another. That's how hopeless we are is all of this. Sinners hate one another. Sinners are haters of God. Sinners are enemies of God. Sinners are hostile to God. One more passage I'll have you turn to. John 13. John 13. So, sinner. Young people, men, women who don't know Christ yet. Will you choose to follow in Judas Iscariot's footsteps? And I'm going to show you what I mean. Has it ever stood out to you that two things, that in all four of the Gospels, they record Jesus as talking about how Judas would betray him? And they all... Put it at the time during the Lord, the Last Supper. 
And the second thing to notice by that is that during this critically important episode in Jesus' ministry, at what we now know as the Lord's Supper, why did Jesus take the time to talk about Judas betraying him? Why didn't he do that at some other time? Why on this important occasion? When he's talking about how he's going to give his his body and his blood for us. Why does he then bring in that Judas would betray him? I mean, more than just the fact that it proves that Jesus is going to die. Why, why talk about Judas betraying him? Remember that every Passover meal pointed to the Messiah. The Messiah who would save his people from their sins. But this particular Passover meal that we call the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, it was the high point of all Passover meals. All the way from that one in Egypt, that very first one, they were all moving toward this one. And so what all the elements of that Passover meal had been doing, and now this one in particular, is, is there, these are like neon signs pointing to Jesus. That it's all about Him. He's the Messiah. Only in Him is there salvation. But Judas rejected Jesus. Look at John, 21, John 13, verse 21. John doesn't go into the take, eat, this is my body part of the the Lord's Supper. He left that to the three men who had already written about it. But he felt like we needed to hear this about Judas. When Jesus had said this, when he was talking about previously, he became troubled troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of what he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' breast one of his disciples, probably John, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. And he, leaning back thus on Jesus' breast, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus therefore answered, That is the one for whom... I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Jesus therefore said to him, What you do, do quickly. Judas saw Jesus all day, every day. He heard Him teach God's Word. He watched Him work miracles. He heard Jesus' offer of salvation. He heard Jesus' offer to be reconciled to God. He saw Jesus' compassion and tenderness. He saw Jesus' righteous character. Sinner, you've heard those too, haven't you? Kids, you've all heard these things. You've heard about Jesus' teaching, His call to us. His miracles. But Judas chose to be blind to all that. He wanted what he wanted. 
He wanted money, not Jesus. He wanted his own way, not Jesus. So in a matter of hours, he hung himself in despair. You see the tragedy of this? I mean, Jesus saying, the one I give the morsel to, he's the one that will betray me, and he handed it to Judas. And and Judas betrayed him. And he still wouldn't turn to Christ. He still wouldn't go and say, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on my soul for what I've done. No. He just went and hung himself because he was in despair. He did not find peace with God because he demanded peace on his own terms. He found himself in hell. He found himself forever locked out of peace with God. There was no turning back this point. Judas found himself forever God's enemy. And, it, and now that cannot be changed. Oh, man, woman, or young person, will you choose to remain blind? Will you choose to remain blind to Jesus as the Savior of sinners? Now, I know I've said a lot of things that are hard to hear. And this has not been a fun message to preach, and I know it's not a fun one for you to hear. And you may, if you are a sinner, if you have not trusted in Christ, you may hear this and you, and you think, is there no hope then? Because I've been showing you that on your own there is no hope. So is this, does that mean there's no hope, no hope ever? Well, I only mean that left to yourself there's no hope. But notice the hope that Jesus gave. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Are you a sinner? Do you recognize that you're a sinner? If you do, then Jesus is calling you. And there's hope in that. If you think you're righteous, if you think you're okay and you're not a sinner, He's not calling you. He came to call sinners. Those who recognize, you know, I have no hope. Back in... I'll just read this. You don't have to turn here. Romans 5, 8. And and we're going to get into this more in the next two weeks. But here is the hope. Because I don't want to leave you without hope. I do. So, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, or if you're not even sure, then I want you to take this week to think about this. Pray about this. Cry out to God. Lord, help me understand that I am a sinner and that I have no hope in myself. But I do want to leave you hope. Because until you die, there is always hope in Christ. And it is this, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were yet 
sinners, we have to recognize that we are sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And with Paul, I talk to all of you who have yet to trust in Christ. We beg of you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Christ died for sinners like you and me. He's the only one that can give us peace. I hope I have left you feeling absolutely hopeless in anything but Christ. Because there is no hope but in Christ. But in Christ there's a world of hope. A hope of forgiveness. Reconciliation with God. And that's what we celebrate at the table. And so I want us to think about this. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ, worship your Savior for what He did for you. And those of you who have not yet trusted in Christ, I want you to think about this. Apart from Christ, I'm hopeless. But how does the bread and the cup point me to hope? So think on these things when we, as we partake.